when it comes to effectiveness and efficiency, yes, I do think Christians can take it too far. I would say effectiveness is getting the right things done. Efficiency is getting the right things done in the right way. I think we should always be effective, but I think the efficiency piece needs to be flexible. A Christian perspective says, yes, keep learning those productivity tips. Yes, have self-control and discipline. But the people that have been sent into your life are providentially sent by the hand of God. And you should drop what you're doing and love those people the best you know how to love in the moment. Shout out to Covenant Eyes for sponsoring this season of the podcast. Covenant Eyes has helped more than 1.5 million people find freedom from porn. Check out the link in the description to sign up and use the code ROSE at checkout to get 30 days free. Cross Training Ministries is a men's ministry that trains guys in spiritual fitness. If you're tired of falling prey to the same temptation over and over again, check out their new book, Surviving the Trenches, Killing Sin Before Sin Kills You. For more information about the book, go to survivingthetrenches.men. A link is in the show notes. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome to the Redeeming Productivity Show. This is the podcast that helps Christians get more done and get it done like Christians. And I am your host, Reagan Rose. Well, today I'm delighted to be joined by David Kaywood. David serves as the Senior Associate Pastor at Eastside Community Church in Jacksonville, Florida. And he's also the creator of GospelRelevance.com, a blog which produces and curates high-quality gospel-centered resources. If you haven't checked out GospelRelevance.com, I think you are going to like it. Well, David, thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. So glad to be here. Thank you so much, Reagan, for having me on the show. You wrote an article recently about the Christian productivity movement, which we'll get to in a, in a moment here. And so I want to talk about that some of you. But first, maybe tell us a little bit more about yourself, your pastoral role, your writing ministry. Give us, give us who is David Kaywood. Yeah, so my name is David K. Wood. I'm a Christian husband and father, two undergraduate degrees in business, and I also have a Master of Divinity degree from Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis is actually where I'm from. Uh, I serve as the Senior Associate Pastor of Eastside Community Church in Jacksonville, Florida. So if you, you're in Jacksonville area, we'd love to have you. Licensed in our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America and on track for ordination. And you mentioned the writing, and I love to write. I love books. I love reading. I love ideas. And so I figured I consume so much content. One way to bless other people is to release some of the ideas in my head. And I've written several articles for the Gospel Coalition, but I do most of my writing on my personal blog at gospelrelevance.com. So I'm, I write all things Christianity for pastors, preachers, on prayer, to books. And over the years, the site has grown to be moderately influential and uh, it really brings a lot of joy, and it's a more of an intrinsic value thing than anything, uh, and trying to get good books into the hands of Christian readers and uh, use ideas to bless the church. So that's at gospelrelevance.com. Yeah, highly encourage you guys to check it out. Um, great articles. You probably, if you follow Chally's stuff, you've probably seen his articles featured there frequently. Uh, if you follow my newsletter, um, I feature his articles there. One of the areas I kind of wanted to dig in with you on is, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, this Christian productivity movement, which you abbreviated CPM, which is, which is helpful. I'd never really thought about it as an acronym or as a movement, but it definitely is. Uh, and you kind of gave uh, an overview of some of the recent history of Christian productivity as sort of a, a sub genre in the Christian world. And I was curious, maybe 
what are some of the books or the names that stand out to you that you think of as being influential in this area, like broadly and even personally in your own life? You know, Carl Hanson came up with a YRR, Young, Restless, and Reformed. That's a lot, that's a lot cooler than what I came up with, CPM, <laughs> the, the Christian Productivity Movement. It was boring. You know, I thought, should I come up with something clever and cute? And I thought, nah, I'll just, I'll just be boring. I'll just do the Christian <laughs> that probably, that probably is about is appropriate for a very boring movement, like, like Christian yeah, productivity. Well, I've, I've, got, I've got more productive things to do than try to come up with the title, you know, that's right. Um, I'll, I'll step back a bit before I give some of the books and resources that have, that I think are most prominent mm-hmm. that have influenced the movement more than any, I'll, I'll just kind of give a quick summation of the art. Basically, I wrote an article called CPM, the Christian Productivity Movement. And one of the things you want to do as a Christian content producer, I think, is try to swim in a lane that no one else is swimming in Mm -hmm. or do it better than some other people or add value. Right. So you want to add value to the conversation. You don't just want to be in the conversation just to get attention. And I'm curious. I'm intuitive. People tell me that I'm in the know. I somehow just on top of resources. It's just a, a knack that I have. And for the past five to seven years, I have seen something that I don't think a lot of people are talking about. So I said, I got to say something because I'm being influenced by this movement. I'm being really blessed by it, but I don't see a lot of talk on it. And so I said, listen, in the past five to seven years, has anyone else realized the amount of books on Christian productivity that have been out? I, I am not aware of a time in history uh, uh, that where we had this much energy and synergy for this one topic. Mm-hmm. Of course, the internet of course, social media, of course, everything that we could do online has um, helped it. But it seems like to be around 2014, around 2015 is where we started to see more and more people talk about it. And so one of the first voices that spoke up was Tim Challies. And his book, Do More Better, is outstanding. It's probably the best quick go-to book on Christian productivity available on the market today. Five plus years reading the book, and I'm still practicing daily what Challies says to write in the book. And Challies is reformed. He's a Calvinist and he's a pietist in a lot of ways, right? So he writes about holiness, personal godliness, uh, local church attendance, uh, what it means to walk with God in private and in public, which we, we love. But then he comes on the scene and says, oh, by the way, we should also be productive as well. So it was like, whoa, here, here's this guy who emphasized personal godliness, but saying, let's, let's get to work as well. So I thought that was a Uh, A huge emphasis, a huge, has made a big contribution to the movement, has over 700 views as of this recording. Uh, Matt Perman came out with the book, What's Best Next? Outstanding book. It's Mm kind of long, big, it's comprehensive. There's some leadership management principles, right? It's not narrow focus on productivity, it's more broad. But that has been an excellent book that I've really enjoyed. John Piper wrote the foreword to the book, and that was significant. If you follow Piper's ministry and you listen closely, Piper talks about being productive all the time. Yeah. All the time. And so did R.C. Sproul. And so, Reagan, I follow the newsletter, love the newsletter, and you have the the quotes at the bottom there. How Mm -hmm. many times have you picked up a quote from R.C. Sproul? A lot. Oh, yeah. It comes up in so much of his stuff. So much. And you don't get more reformed than R.C. Sproul. (laughs) We're, we're going to talk about that, right? The intersection of reform yeah. theology and improvement, right? But he, here's a guy who believes in the sovereignty of God with all of his heart, one of the best teachers of our time, saying, get to work. Hey, look at his output. Look how much he's done for the kingdom of God. So Sproul, Piper, Chalice, Perman, 
Brandon Crow, Everyday Matters, mm-hmm. keeping in step with this theme of yellow book covers with productivity. <laughs> I have it right I, I here next to me somewhere. We're actually doing that in our book club with our with our academy members uh, this next what, month. What yeah, Deep Work is yellow. Charlie's yeah. book is yellow. Crow's book is yellow. It's like if you want to <laughs> write a productivity it. book, it's got to it's got to be yellow. Uh, somewhat underrated. It's an underrated book that probably it came out, you know, Charlie's made a splash and Perman made a splash. And so I don't know how the market works with that, but the overlooked book is Brandon Crow's book. Really good. Yeah. Uh, and then of course you brother, I'm not just saying this cause I'm on the show, but <laughs> redeeming productivity has been a, a huge influence for a lot of people. And you've really taken it to the next level because Charlie's wrote a book and several articles. Perman's got two books. We know that Piper and Sproul are generalists who, who talk about a lot of different things. But you, you've done this as your full-time job mm-hmm. with newsletters and articles and YouTube videos and, you know, the book coming out October 4th. So you, you've played a huge voice in this movement as the Lord continues to bless you, probably will play an even bigger movement. So those are some of the books and names that come to mind when I think of who has done the most for the CPM movement that started about five to seven years ago. Wow, that's, that's really helpful. And yeah, all of those factored into my journey, my interest in the, I mean, I don't think I would have known that it was a topic you could be interested in without having read uh, Charlie's book, Do More Better, or Matt Perman, or any, like, I wouldn't have thought, it wouldn't have occurred to me that it was sort of this intersection that would be appropriate to dig into. Um, and and that those have definitely been the the most influential books on me. And that's that I'm standing on the shoulders of giants trying to do what I'm doing here is basically um, just trying to push the football a little further down the field. Um, but those guys are the ones who, who have started and are the, the true OGs <laughs> of it. <laughs> yeah. If you want to talk OGs, we got to go back even more to uh, uh, Spurgeon and, and even yeah. the apostle Paul with various texts on being productive in his Pauline letters, but yes, no, totally. And, and I think that, that, there's like this long, we wouldn't have called it productivity. I don't think they would have either, but there's a long history in the church of godly people seeking to steward their lives. Well, I mean, I was, there's a quote by um, Randy Alcorn where he says something like stewardship isn't part of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. It's mm, taking what God's giving you and using it to, to make a good return for his glory and, you know, the Puritans were like that. Like you mentioned Spurgeon. Um, I think what's really interesting is the the guys you see who write about it are often guys who it's, it's because it's something that they're doing. Like Spurgeon, for example. I mean, you can't be more prolific in terms of like output than him. I mean, how many sermons? Like, it's ridiculous. Um, the same thing with Chalice, you know, writing every day for like 15, 16 years in a row. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing, uh, how, how this flows out of those guys own desire to use these lives well, and then to kind of pass on some of what they're learning to other people who are also trying to be wise with how they use their lives. Yeah, it it would, it would seem quite odd for someone to write something on productivity, but they themselves not being productive, uh, in their own personal lives. You, you, you mentioned uh, Spurgeon and, uh, you know, there, there's an interesting article I remember seeing, I think it was 2017, and there's a, something called the Spurgeon Center at Midwestern Baptist Theological mm-hmm. Seminary. They talk about Spurgeon's life, and they had an article there 
uh, how, how Spurgeon scheduled his week. Yeah, I have that so, one saved. I know the one you're talking about. <laughs> so you have that one saved. Of course yeah. you do. Like, if, if you love productivity and you see stuff like that, you don't, you don't miss that on those, right? And so here's what part of the article said. It, it mentioned, uh, you know, I think Spurgeon died at 57, but he accomplished three lifetimes of work. He preached four to 10 times a week, read six books per week, revised sermons for publication, lectured, edited a monthly magazine, he wrote 150 books, was the pastor of the largest Protestant church in the world, and mm. knew every member by name, 6,000 members, and directed a theological college, I think they call it the Pastors College, ran an orphanage, and oversaw 66 Christian charities. Oh, man. So, okay, that, I mean, I, I have to say, that's hard for me to believe. Yeah. And I'm doing my best to believe the best and what my brothers and sisters are writing. But when I read that, I'm like, that seems unthinkable. Now, here's what I would say, though. Although Spurgeon was unbelievably prolific, and I would love to write 150 books and to do half of what he did, you know, David Murray, another interesting voice, Mm -hmm. uh, very, very good writer himself. He comes back and says, actually, you shouldn't copy Spurgeon's calendar. Here's what he says. He, 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 He brings it up and he says, uh, he, he reminds us that Spurgeon spent a large part of the last third of his life out of the pulpit and with depression and anxiety. Yeah. And a lot of these people were held up as model examples, but when you look deeply, they have physical, emotional, and mental afflictions as well. So I, I know we were going to talk a little bit about some of the, the names from history, but it's really good to learn from other brothers and sisters who are very productive. But one of the beauties of li- living in the 21st century uh, especially in the West, where we're seeing economic and material prosperity that our ancestors would have dreamed of, never dreamed of, is that we get to learn from the people of the past and not only learn their successes, but also their mistakes as well. Yeah, very well said. Yeah, I think sometimes we hold up these people as uh, that you should imitate it exactly. Or even you'll talk to people and they kind of feel guilty because they're not doing exactly what some superstar does. Like I remember... Um, you know, Al, Al Mohler, it's well known that he does not sleep very much. And mm. he stopped telling people when they would ask him in Q&A's, he stopped telling them when, what his sleep schedule was. Because, and I remember a Q&A where he said, I just, I'm not talking about this anymore because people think I'm offering this a recommendation. It's not. Um, another, I was in a class one time when I was in seminary and Steve Lawson was the professor and someone brought up what you're talking about with Spurgeon. And they brought up and, and they said, well, Spurgeon did all this and this and this, and he did this and this and this, and he did this and this. And Lawson just stopped him. He said, Spurgeon was a freak of grace, which I, I'd never heard that expression before. It's like a freak of nature. He called, he called Spurgeon a freak of grace. And I think it goes back to that, that, um, that stewardship concept. Look, like you've been given your life with your energy, with your skills, with your whatever you have in front of you that's for you to steward. You don't have to copy so-and-so. You don't, you're not expected, you know, every player in the NBA isn't expected to be exactly like Michael Jordan or LeBron James. And, and as you mentioned, some of the, there are negative examples to some of the people we hold up as, as paragons of productivity. Uh, there's things we shouldn't uh, duplicate because often there are folks that have gotten deep down this path and they've neglected important parts of their life, like their family, their spouse, their kids, things like that. Um, even I, I, we're spending a lot of time in this, but I was thinking about, um, uh, what's the name? Wesley. 
Wesley, yeah. the guy who deliberately neglected his 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 wife and family for the for the work of ministry. It's like I don't think that's something that should be held up as an example either. You could say he's not good at all. One thing, not good at all. Right. But there's there's a holisticness to what you you're called the steward. It's not just your labor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you mentioned we mentioned Spurgeon. I think I remember someone asking him, "How do you get so much done?" And his <laughs> reply was, "You're forgetting that there's two of us." That's really good. The Holy Spirit living <laughs> yeah, in him in power. <laughs> that's classic Spurgeon wit too. Oh yeah, yeah. If it's not clever and sophisticated and profound, it's not Spurgeon. So that was cute. Yeah. That was clever. <laughs> <laughs> now you you touched on it um, briefly a few minutes ago, but. One thing you pointed out in the article, which I hadn't really I hadn't really occurred to me, is most of the voices you see talking about this subject of Christian productivity tend to be from a more reformed or Calvinistic background. So I'm curious your thoughts about why that would be. What do you what do you suspect is the reason for that? There are a lot of critics for the reformed movement, and some of the critics say things like this. They're the reformed, they're the frozen chosen, they're not loving, they're harsh, they don't do evangelism. Now, certainly I can't speak for every single person who categorizes himself as reformed, and there might be an element of truth to that. But when you look at the output of what's going on with this CPM, the Christian Productivity Movement, you can't help but notice that those who are contributing the most value also are reformed or broadly reformed. And why, why is that the case? Well, part of it is I might be biased in my scope and my assessment because the voices that I follow are primarily reformed voices. Hmm. So I don't exactly know what's going on with every single Christian who writes blog posts and podcasts and books everywhere in the world. Now, I'm, I consider myself to be pretty aware, but most of the times when I see it, I, I see guys who are Calvinists. And, and, you know, we've had such great ministries and organizations started the past 20 years, I think of the Gospel Coalition, phenomenal organization that has done a terrific job of helping us re-understand justification by grace through faith in Christ, T4G. Uh, there's, there's been these movements of, of helping us get back to justification. We are right with God because of what Christ has done on the cross, and this is a gift that we receive by faith. But after that, Here's what happens is that, you know, reform theology is big God theology. I think I heard Piper say that one time is that we worship this big God who is sovereign, who before time began, chose us for salvation, adopted us into his kingdom, forgiven us for all our sins, has imputed on us the righteousness of Christ, given us a place in heaven. The, the more that the grace of God sinks into our hearts, we can't help but say, how can I be a living sacrifice for this God who has saved me? Amen. So we're, say, we're saved by grace, but we're judged by works. One of the things that a lot of Christians don't realize is that not every Christian is going to have the same amount of spiritual treasure in heaven. Mm -hmm. That is based on rewards of faithfulness. And so good works are not the basis of salvation, but the evidence of salvation. So in it, after being saved, you see that in the flow of the passage, Ephesians chapter 2, is that verse 10 there, God prepared us good works to walk into. And so I think, I think what's going on is that the grace of God is so overwhelming and so big and so strong that when it touches the deep parts of your soul, you cannot help but want to be productive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I, I'm, 
I'm in lockstep with you. I think that is that is the perfect explanation for it. Um, it it just flows out of an appreciation for the free gift we have in Christ. And I think the irony is sometimes probably probably the most frequent sort of criticism I get with talking about productivity from from believers is, well, that's legalism. I don't think it's legalism. It's not legalism. To, 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 I am trying to make the most of my life. I'm trying to be as obedient as I can. I'm trying to be as holy as I can. I'm trying to do all these things in Christ's power and optimize a life around service. Like you said, you know, with, with um, Romans, I, I want to be a living sacrifice. Um, it's not legalism. And I think that it almost, that criticism of Christian productivity almost belies a misapprehension of, like you're saying, how grace motivates us to service. Like it's it's not an attempt to earn anything or earn salvation. It's not an attempt to try to make God love me. It's just gratitude pouring out deliberately into the work of my hands because I, I want to serve this God I love and I'm so thankful to. Yeah, legalism is one of the most misused words in the Christian vocabulary. Legalism means doing things to earn God's love or to earn salvation through your works. We're not at all saying that. We're saying we're we're being productive because we're saved, not to try to be saved. Yeah, no, well said. And I think I love what you said too earlier about the um, the, the Christians a lot of times don't understand that there is difference in eternal rewards. Not in, not in heaven. Not that some get heaven and some some Christians get heaven and some don't. But in right how what you get there and it's all over the place I, I again to mention randy elkhorn i think he was the ministry that first turned me on to just how prevalent that notion is in the new testament even in, in jesus and in paul it's it's everywhere that we are rewarded for good works and i think just to speak to myself one of my motivations about doing this this ministry is i i want christians to be productive because I want God to receive more glory and them to receive more reward. And I, wow. I am unashamed wow. to say that I hmm. want more reward in heaven. And so I want to work hard in Christ's power for that. That's not a mercenary motive. That's my opportunity to take what, what Christ rewards us with in heaven and turn that back to him for all eternity as worship. Lay those crowns down at his feet. And there, I don't think there can be a purer motive than that. But a lot of Christians don't even realize that's a thing. It is a thing. It is overlooked. It needs more attention. You see this in Christ's parables. We see this in 2 Corinthians where Paul says we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due for what we've done. And how precious, how wonderful is God to even allow us to receive rewards? I mean, how wonderful is that? I mean, I love my iPhone. I love my MacBook Pro. I love taking good supplements. I love my books but they're, they're going to wear out and die one day. I can, through giving money and through giving time and energy to the kingdom of God, I can receive something in heaven that yeah. I'm never going to lose. Yeah. That's amazing. That Why would amazing. you not put on this? Yeah. Laying up treasure for yourself in heaven or moth and rust can't destroy. Like it's, it, it's, it's the best investment strategy. <laughs> don't, don't lay it up here on earth where it's, it's all going to fade away. You can't take it with you. Lay it up in heaven. And I love what you said. It's 
it is the grace of God that we get rewarded because we're not actually like it's God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so even the fact that we get rewarded for the thing, the works that he does through us, that's ridiculous. Like that's, it's just grace upon grace upon grace. And so how can you not be thankful? How can you not want to serve this gracious God and, uh, and, and glorify him with your life? So David, um, I'm curious about you, like personally, and how you think about productivity. So maybe take a shot at if you're willing. How would you define productivity? So there have been a lot of definitions proposed on how to define productivity. One is by Tim Challies. Tim Challies in his book, Do More Better, he says, productivity is effectively stewarding my gifts talents, time, energy, and enthusiasm for the good of others and the glory of God. I think it's a really good definition. If we're just going to do one word, I think faithfulness is a good start, but mm -hmm. stewardship is probably the best word. Productivity mm -hmm. is stewardship. It's looking at your time, energy, money, effort, and trying to steward it to do uh, good for others and to give glory to God. Now, I will say I'll push back a little bit on the whole just be faithful movement. Mm -hmm. I think you see this a lot with people. I, and Tim Keller does a good job of critiquing this in his book, Center Church. And I'll build from that when there's a lot of people who say, just be faithful, just be faithful. If you're being faithful, then you're being successful. If you're just faithful, then you're being productive. And then I, I think that's a bit naive and a bit of an oversimplification. And then the other side is measuring success and productivity by worldly results, which is money yeah. and achievements and how much you can get done every day. And I think there are obvious errors with that. I think we need to meet in the middle and say, let's let's be fruitful. Mm. Let's be fruitful. So yes, be faithful, but there should be an expectation that when you do things that people are blessed by it, right? There are exceptions to that when missionaries go overseas and they are there for 40 years and they tell the gospel to everyone and they see zero results and then they die. And then that the whole tribe comes to Christ. The results are hidden from them. Uh, so, so productivity is about stewardship. It's about faithfulness, but we do want to see some fruit from our efforts. Again, that's building from Keller, but I think Charlie's has a really good definition of that. So, uh, you know, I got into personal productivity in my early twenties. I, I, I would have never known the terminology, but mm -hmm. I knew I had this deep desire in my heart to make my life count and to live a meaningful life for the glory of God. And around that time, I read John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life, and then David Platt's book, Radical. And I thought, this is good, but I want, what, what would be, and then some Randy Alcorn in there too. And I thought, this is it. This is the best way to ensure you don't waste your life through mm -hmm. being productive. Mm -hmm. And what is productivity? Stewardship. So how do you know that you're not wasting your life? Well, th that could be an existentially difficult question to answer, especially on your birthday, when you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm 40 now and yeah. 41 and a half and I'm having a midlife crisis or I'm 30 and what have I done with my life? And when the new year's comes, it can be very exciting, but very daunting to think of the new year. But if we're faithful and we're good stewards day in and day out, we can bet we're not wasting our lives. Now for a word from this season's sponsor. One of the most unproductive things you can do is allow sin to have a foothold in your life. And in our digital age, it's easier than ever to give in to that temptation. Covenant Eyes offers two apps that give you one simple path to victory. First, the Covenant Eyes sensor app operates in the background of your devices, monitoring them for concerning activity and blocking explicit content. 
Second, the Victory app provides your ally with the most up-to-date information about your online activity. If explicit activity is detected, an alert will pop up encouraging them to contact you. The Victory app is also full of resources and courses to help you grow in your battle against lust. And Covenant Eyes gives you the tools you need to make the right decision when you're tempted online. Covenant Eyes has helped more than 1.5 million people find freedom from porn, and maybe it can help you too. Just go to CovenantEyes.com and use the code ROSE, that's R-O-S-E, at checkout to try it free for 30 days. I think a lot of people... um, you know, whether it's when you first become a believer or when you, you start taking your faith more seriously as you grow into adulthood, I know f- for me, that was it. You kind of do have that existential crisis. You're like, wait a minute, if I believe this stuff, why do I look like my friends? Not in terms of like sin and stuff, but like, why do I have the same ambitions? Why, why is my scope on this life so limited and so identical to the world's view of this life? if I really believe there's a God and an an eternity and he's a God who rewards, like that should change something. And it kind of drives you down to, I think a lot of people, you know, we talk about productivity, you kind of think life hacks, you kind of think of the nitty gritty, the tactical level, but I, I think it starts much higher than that. It's, it's purpose. It's like you said, it's not wasting your life. It's knowing who I am, that I have this mission to glorify God with my life. And Finding, and then it goes down to the strategic and then tactical levels of you figuring out, okay, so where do I aim this life? What are my specific giftings? And okay, how do I manage this time? What are actual s- strategies I can put in place? What are the tools I can use? Like, it's not just about tools. It's about this whole view of life and what the purpose of it is. I was talking to my fellow pastor and colleague who's been a pastor much longer than me, and he knows that I'm really into this productivity movement. And I want to be productive, faithful. I want to be a good steward. And he asked me, and he said, "Is holding?" He said something like this: "Is holding an old lady's hand in the hospital bed, or visiting a widow in the hospital bed, is that productive?" Hmm. The answer is absolutely yes. Yeah. I'm a pastor, right? So yeah. part of my job is to love and oversee the flock. So in that moment, when I'm in the hospital bedroom, and I'm holding the hand of an older lady. And she might pass into eternity any second. I'm being productive. Mm-hmm. Not about getting tasks done exclusively. It's not about writing a certain number of articles and blog posts, although that's part of it. But productivity, if we're going to get even deeper, is being faithful to your calling. Yeah. To use your time and energy towards stewardship, towards what God has called you to do. And so all of this is sort of interconnected. The goals connected to priorities, connected to tasks it's all interconnected. So what is your calling? What are, what are your goals? Your call, your calling determines your goals, your goals determines your tasks. And so as a local church pastor, I do believe pastors should be productive. Um, but we have to redefine our productivity and saying, you know, being productive as a pastor is giving your best energy to sermon preparation. Being productive as a pastor is having a regular quiet time. Being productive as a pastor is overseeing the flock and make sure no one slips through the cracks, right? Mm -hmm. It's not grow your church. Only God can grow your church. It's not necessarily write a book, although that would be a good desire. It's being faithful to what God has called you. And I I do believe if pastors learned more about productivity and more about time management habits, I think it would help a lot more pastors avoid burnout and and grow 
Um, so, so we, we need, when we talk about productivity, we also have to talk about goals, calling mm -hmm. tasks. Those three things are interconnected and, and, and above all, we want to be faithful stewards with what God has entrusted to us with our lives. Oh, very well said. There's a lot of articles in the secular world. We'll, refer, we'll talk about toxic productivity. That's in air quotes. Um, do you think people, believers especially, need to be wary of taking this desire for effectiveness and efficiency too far? Like how might Christians look to somebody like Spurgeon or or a Luther, or someone prolific like like be like Joel Beakey, for example, and maybe be tempted to push themselves beyond reasonable limits. I'll go back to the expression toxic productivity that you put in air quotes. <laughs> you know, one thing I've learned is that the human heart tends to criticize things we're not good at. The human heart tends to criticize things we don't understand and people we envy. So those proponents who bash productivity and say toxic productivity, often when you look at their lives, they struggle with worry, procrastination, and laziness. Or they see someone talking about productivity who they envy, or they try to do be productive the worldly way and they got burnt out and hurt. And so what yeah. they do is they find a flaw and there are flaws to the movement and they over-exaggerate the flaw to compensate their own idea. So when people talk about toxic productivity and you look deeply it's more of a reflection on them than the actual movement and when it comes to effectiveness and efficiency yes i do think christians can take it too far i would say effectiveness is getting the right things done efficiency is getting the right things done in the right way so you can take it you can take it too far i think we should always be effective but i think the efficiency piece needs to be flexible you should always try to be doing the right things that God has called you to do, what you should be doing throughout the day. But in terms of how you go about doing it, you need to be willing to be inconvenienced and interrupted. Uh, this is especially true if you're a pastor or if you work in a job where you have to serve and help people. You know, as soon as you get really into productivity, you, it can make you selfish. Mm -hmm. It can make you self-absorbed. It can make you think the whole universe is around you because learning about productivity makes you feel so empowered. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you have this self-control and this discipline and you feel unstoppable. And anybody who comes into your life feels like a threat to your goals. But a Christian perspective says, yes, keep learning those productivity tips. Yes, have self-control and discipline. But the people that have been sent into your life are providentially sent by the hand of God. And you should drop what you're doing and love those people the best you know how to love in the moment. Now, productivity, having a good system actually helps in that moment mm -hmm. because you don't have to be too faltered by someone interrupting you because you have a system to fall on that makes up for interruptions. Like this morning, I was reading a book in an office here at church and a pastor, a colleague of mine came in and he told me about a thorny pastoral issue and I had to drop it, the book, and we had to deal with the situation and we had to get the other pastor involved. I wasn't worried at all because I, I, I have a system set up to know that I, I can handle these interruptions and go back to the system pretty seamlessly. So we, we really do need this content on understanding productivity from a Christian worldview. Um, and yes, yes, be, yes, be effective, but be a little bit more flexible with your efficiency and make some room for the mess. Man, that's so well said. I love, I love the way you put that. I had um, earlier this year, uh, Kelly Capuck, he wrote the book, uh, You're Only Human. I had him on the podcast. And one of the things he said that stuck with me is he said, one of the most inefficient things you can do is love. And he unpacked that similar to what you're talking about, that 
with relationships and especially in, you know, like you're in a, a pastoral role where so much is your calling is focused on those relationships. You, you've got to have the patience and the ability to let time kind of protract sometimes because you can't, you can't wrap those up in a nice little bow all the time, every meeting, every um, discussion or know when they're coming. But I love that what you said too, is you, if you have a nice structure, a nice system, you're able to sort of put a, a bookmark in what you're working on and pick up where you left off with much less um, uh, disruption or, um, or, you know, loss of, of where you were and feeling frazzled. It's, it's gotta be, you gotta have that flexibility on the efficiency side, but have, have your focus on effectiveness. I love that. I, I was watching the, the Michael Jordan uh, ESPN thing that they put out about Michael Jordan and the Bulls, the, the last dance. Oh, right. Michael yes. Jordan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the last dance with Michael Jordan, I remember watching that and there have been several people who were talking about Jordan's greatness. And obviously when we talk about greatness, we're talking about serving in the Christian life and Jesus talks about true greatness, but some of his biographers were talking about what made Michael Jordan so great. What set him apart from the competition? Well, it wasn't his height. He was six, six. That's pretty average for his position. Uh, speed, hand size, uh, shooting ability. Uh, yeah, yeah. Obviously, he was above average, if not uh, outstanding, and all of that. But one of his biographers said it, it just drilled in my head was this: Michael Jordan knew how to be in the moment. Hmm. He stayed in the moment. He wasn't afraid to take the big shot. He wasn't afraid of what would happen if it would miss. It wasn't afraid about what was going to happen three minutes from now. He was able to stay in the moment. And, you know, you see this with our Lord and the Gospels. When he's interrupted, Christ seems to be so present on the specific person he's talking to. And what would it be like, you know, as you learn about Christian productivity, you don't want to be the person who every time someone talks to you at church or at work, you, you seem frantic. Yeah. Looking over their You're shoulder, not, kind of saying, oh, I got to do this thing, that thing. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be like that. Actually, if you really were good at productivity, you wouldn't be frantic because you would have a system in play to fall back on. Mm -hmm. So we want to love people as best as we can to be in the moment and, and treat everyone as if, you know, the only person that matters in that moment, trusting that we have the system set up that we can fall back on that's going to help us to be productive. That's so wise. Uh, we talk about love. Uh, you know, a, a church couple came over to my house where we live or uh, where we live and they brought over some banana pudding. You know, I live in the South now and it's this ancient mama's banana pudding. It's the best banana pudding I've ever made. And I made a comment and I said to the husband, I said, I hope that's not a burden for your wife. He said, it is a burden, but she's going to do it anyway. Hmm. In other words, he was saying, yeah, it's, it's going to be a burden. It's a lot of work, but we love you. And we love you so much that we're going to be inefficient with our schedules to show you love. And I thought that, that was so good. I, it yeah. was very helpful for the year. Yeah, you got to you got to um dare to be inconvenienced for the sake of love. And I suppose that's the heart of love biblically, right? Sacrifice, sacrificial love. Um it's sometimes you sacrifice your your to-do list for the day. Sometimes you sacrifice um some time that was really precious to you that you really needed to get this thing done, but I love the, I love the the thought of having the flexibility and letting the systems kind of be your backup that makes sure not everything falls through the cracks with every interruption. We have to believe in the providence of God, a robust understanding that there's no such thing as chance or accidents or luck and that everyone who comes into your life 
is sent by God, that will change everything about the way you view the relationship between providence and productivity. Amen. So I'm curious about you, like you're interested in productivity. I'm sure you're into it yourself. What are just like nitty gritty? What do you assume your go-to tools that you use to keep on top of things and, and stay productive yourself? I use Todoist for my task management app. Really love Todoist. Simple, quick, easy. I check it every day, most days. It's my go-to productivity tool, Todoist. I'm an Apple guy, but I actually think the Google Calendar is better than the Apple Calendar. So I use Ooh. Google Calendar. For <laughs> Those are fighting <laughs> <laughs> For scheduling. I, I actually think that Google GPS is better than the Apple GPS as well. Yeah, I agree with you there. <laughs> <laughs> um, Evernote is my information storage system tool. I know you use Notion. The cool kids use Notion, I tell you. <laughs> well, you, you sounds like you've stayed pretty close to uh, Charlie's recommendations from okay, Do More so Better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean... I, I adapted it. I used it and it, it's if not it broke. broke don't life. fix it. Right. Well, yeah. exactly. So, and then I use Trello for organizing boards and information, Ulysses for writing. I, you know, I actually think my system might actually add more value than the tools, you know, don't get super caught up in the tool because what so-and-so uses, who cares? Learn about what so-and-so uses so you can be aware about it, but you're not so-and-so. If it works for you, use it. If it doesn't, don't. So my system is, uh, morning routine, the big three, time block planning, Pomodoro technique, and two-minute rule. So wow. that's my big five. So morning routine, obviously, you have you have an amazing course on morning routine. If you're listening to this and you haven't taken it, I highly recommend that you take that course. The big three, when I first learned about the big three, I thought it was the least useful idea in the history of productivity. <laughs> like, look at what you have to do and pick your big three. I was like, just three things. And I thought, then I started using it and I realized this is really powerful. So I picked my big three for the day. Then I time block it. Mm -hmm. And then as I time block and I'm working, I use the Pomodoro technique. I think I learned the Pomodoro technique from you. I bought a timer because I listened to one of the podcasts. Dude, the best way to not experience the 230 feeling is to do the Pomodoro technique, life changing discovery. And then two minute rule, uh, David Allen's famous rule. If you can do it in two minutes, just do it there. Well, my wife texts me, order this on Amazon. I don't, I just, click the button and I do it right away. I don't, I, 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 right away. I drop it. Can you take out the trash? Can you do this? I just do it yeah. right then and there. That system, the morning routine, big three time block planning, Pomodoro technique, two minute rule that might add more value than just the tools that I use. That's really, yeah. I appreciate that. It, it is amazing that just between those four or five things you listed, just those techniques, if you implement them, if you implemented one of them today, people who are listening to this, it, can genuinely change your life. It's unbelievable how much those simple, because I, I use all of those. Those are staples of kind of classic productivity that, it, you know, up over the years. And there's a reason it's because they work. And I love what you said. It's, it's not about having the latest app. The app's not going to solve your problem. If your system doesn't work, you've, you've got to be thinking about productivity a certain way and kind of have these rules, I suppose, for yourself, for how you're going to work, how you're going to treat things um, when they come into your attention. Absolutely. Yeah. Having, having that system that you trust is essential for productivity, but here's the deal. When you come up with your productivity system, it's not set it and forget it. Like your financial investing, you know, I'll put in or savings account or just set this money and I won't look at it. No, it's, 
it's like actually like tending a garden mm-hmm. or you have to constantly reevaluate. You know, we, we moved from the Midwest to the South in February. We had a kid, another kid a little bit over a year ago. We went through some various family changes. I started a new call here at Eastside Community Church in Jacksonville, Florida. It's been a stressful, overwhelming, difficult season. But I tell you, my productivity system has actually helped with the stress. Mm-hmm. But I've had to reevaluate everything. I actually spent some time this morning reevaluating my goals, my morning routine, and what am I doing that's working. So when, when you start to get off track or if you start failing or if you feel like you're not being productive, it's okay. We all go through that. Just mm-hmm. plan out an hour or two, look at the system, make tweaks, and go. You're not going to have a perfect system. You have to be willing to make tweaks along the way. So as we kind of wind down here, I want to hear a little bit more about your ministry, Gospel Relevance. We've talked about it some, and like I like I said, readers of my newsletter will recognize it because I, I feature you quite frequently, but kind of how did you get started with that, and what are your goals maybe going forward with that blog? What are you trying to do with that ministry? You know, I have a little bit of a difficult time receiving it as a ministry, Reagan, hmm. you know. Um, and I feel a bit insecure about the word relevance. It, it, I, I just, I fear sometimes that the impression that a first time reader might think that I'm trying to be cool or I'm trying to be hip. And that's really not me at all. I'm just trying to serve the body of Christ with good resources. You know, I was in college, undergraduate school, and that's when I first started reading. Mm-hmm. I grew up, hated reading. And I thought if you read, you were weird. I played organized football. And I started reading books in college when I, it changed my life. And I was the chaplain, co-chaplain of our football team. And several guys came to Christ. Hmm. And I started a blog called stuffthatsrelevant.wordpress.com. Didn't know what I was doing at all. And I thought that I didn't want first name, last name dot com. Yeah. Because I felt like it was vain at the age of 20 to have that or 19. I didn't really know what I was doing. And I didn't want like, uh, Christ the King or a tremendous Redeemer, our Lord, you know, something really religious sounding. Those are, those are great. But I was, I was trying to disciple new Christians and I was yeah. in college and I wanted something that was kind of, um, that would appeal to an unbeliever really. But over time I decided I started having more energy to write because books were changing my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, ideas and information were changing my life and I wanted to do the same for other people. So I changed the name to gospelrelevance.com. Again, I've made mistakes over the years, and that's sometimes I, I get a little bit concerned about that. That that's the impression that it gives off. But I think when people read the content, they realize that's not really that's not really it. And so, with the website, I'm I'm really just trying to get good books into the hands of Christian readers. So if you read my blog, you'll probably spend two to five minutes on there. But if I get you to buy a book, You'll spend six to eight hours with that author. And I'm, I'm actually influencing your life and you live in a different country. And that's yeah. amazing to me that I could yeah. just like put together a post. Someone in Timbuktu might find it, click on a Tim Keller book, read it, and their life has changed forever. And I don't even know about it. Sometimes right. people, I don't, I don't even know all the time. So getting good books into the hands of readers, um, I, I, I'm trying to really help Christians think through what it means to be godly and walk with the Lord and to love the local church. And as I said earlier, I'm a generalist. So I sort of write just whatever's on my mind, whatever's on my heart that I preach on this, this previous Sunday, what am I reading? 
What, what, what value can I add? Where can I add a voice to the conversation? It's a journalist blog for Christian readers who are interested in all things Christianity. I dig it. Now, I, I often hear from people, uh, pastors, believers, just that are interested in having some sort of presence online, whether it's through social media or a blog or a newsletter or something like that. Just trying to do exactly what you're doing is trying to have a voice that's going to elevate Christ and serve the church. And you, you mentioned, you know, there's, there's things you, mistakes you've made along the way, things like that. I was just wondering if you had any advice for Christians who wanted to get into writing online, what would you tell them given your experience? You know, I've helped a few people over the years to get started, to get going, to cast a vision for their lives. And I don't think any one of them made it. Hmm. I've been to in people's homes and I've emailed people and I've tried to help. And I think all of them quit. So first thing I would say is you have to have grit. If you don't have grit and perseverance, you probably are not going to make it no matter how passionate you are, no matter how good of a writer you are. It takes some serious character and serious grit to not give up, to put out that podcast, that YouTube video, that blog post every week. Even when the first eight months you get nothing, you still have to do it. So grit is really what sets apart those who get seen and those who don't. And then with that consistency, come up with a schedule that works for you and be faithful to it. If it once a week, once a month, once every other week, you have to be consistent. If you're not consistent, it comes across as flaky and people won't trust you. So you have to be consistent. And then finally, I would say network, 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 make connections. It can make you feel sleazy. It can, uh, I've been rejected before. I've been rejected probably more in the future, but if you put yourself out there 10 times and four people don't reply and six people do, and they bless you, those six people are going to open up doors that you would not have opened had you not do it. So put your rejection issues aside. We all feel it. I feel it. It hurts. You get, you get stung when people leave you hanging or they say they're going to do something that don't. And it's just, it's normal put it aside and make connections anyway. Try to bless people, serve people. Don't come across as a mooch. Influential people can read that from a mile away. Mm -hmm. Try to come across as a genuine person, talk like yourself, send that email, go to that conference, put yourself out there and see what happens. That's really, really good advice. I've, I've found also that when you if you just seek to serve people, like if you're trying to make a connection with somebody and you just seek to serve someone, reach out to a, a, an author or someone who has influenced your life and just do something, just say something, tell them how, it, how their stuff's impacted you. Don't ask for anything, no expectation. I have found that more often than not, eventually those things come back around. Because uh, one thing I think people don't realize is the, the world of Christians, um, who have like that have any sort of um significant presence it's a fairly small world like you, yeah. you realize really quickly even you'll write to people uh that you know have a well-known blog and they'll write you back because now they don't get that many emails per week. it's not like you're writing to um some super celebrity a christian celebrities are very small have a small circle of influence and i didn't realize that for the longest time but what's neat about that is you have a chance to encourage them because the, the funny thing is you would expect, oh, they probably hear that stuff all the time. They really don't. 
And that's a great way to encourage them, be a ministry to them. But often uh, it helps form connections and bonds and relationships that uh, eventually sort of reinforce the work you're doing too. And we're all, it's the body of Christ. We're better together when we're seeking uh, to row in the same direction. So I think it's wise advice. The evangelical world is a small world, believe it or not. Yeah, it really so is. Don't, don't let anyone intimidate you. These people are very normal, very ordinary, just like you, an image bearer of God who's struggling on the way. So reach out to them, put yourself out there and trust God with the results. Amen. So thank you so much for being with us, David. This has been a really fun conversation. It's nice to uh, to be able to like get into the nitty gritty stuff with somebody who's gone so deep on this. I, I feel like uh, you're, you're a great conversation partner for, for talking the deep stuff of Christian productivity. I really appreciate your ministry and time you've taken. The, the website again is gospelrelevance.com. I'm going to have a link to that in the show notes, as well as a link to the article, which we were discussing, CPM, the Christian Productivity Movement. Um, David, any final thoughts for listeners? Be productive. Remember, this is all about stewardship. This is all about faithfulness. No matter where you are right now, just get started. If you're a perfectionist or if you have OCD or if you're paranoia or neurotic, you know, productivity tends to attract that kind of person. You, you try to get all the information uh, before you get started. But what you need to do is just get started and tweak along the way. Amen. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks for taking the time. It was my absolute delight and privilege. Thank you, Reagan, for having me on the show. Do you feel as if you are losing the battle against sin? Are pride, lust, vanity, and sloth kicking your teeth in on a daily basis? The sad truth is that a lot of Christians spend not just years, but decades in churches without getting any focused training on how to fight against sin. Cross Training Ministries is a men's ministry that trains guys in spiritual fitness. If you're tired of falling prey to the same temptation over and over again, check out their new book, Surviving the Trenches, Killing Sin Before Sin Kills You. In this book, you'll learn one, the 10 basic rules of war for fighting sin. Two, you'll uncover some of the most dangerous lies that feed sinful behavior. And three, you'll get training regarding how to battle against the deeply entrenched idols of the heart. If you're a guy who longs to experience more freedom from sin, this book is for you. For more information about the book, go to survivingthetrenches.men. That's survivingthetrenches.men. Or order a copy from Amazon. A link is in the show notes.